Hi, this is Nathan, and you're listening to a public church podcast. We would love to connect with you on social media at a public church, or you can visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Now, this question goes out to all of us as you're watching this. My first question, look, you can answer if you're five years old or 50 years old, if you're alone, if you're with your family, or maybe you're driving down the road like Joe Prezi was a couple weeks ago and you pull over to watch this. But, but here's the question. Have you had a tough day this week? If not, my name is Todd, and Friday was a tough day. Now, um, the thing is, I'm an optimist, so most of you would probably call it a bad day. We'll just go with tough for now. But married couples, just to speak to you for a moment, have you ever had one of those days where it just like, the tension just ebbs and flows throughout the whole day and even into the next day? That was Friday and even into late Friday night when we're, for Whitney and I, as we're having to change Oliver and he's not feeling good, and honestly, I was just rude. And into Saturday, we we had one of those days where it's like, we would kind of navigate some of the tension and We'd be around some other people. For us, that's our kids. And things would be better. And we weren't faking it. We were actually enjoying each other and smiling and having a good time. And then the kids would go down for nap time and it was like another layer of tension emerges and we're back. And we just went through that ebb and flow, me being rude at two o'clock in the morning. Doesn't help that, just to be honest. But it was just one of those days. Now, for those of you who are single and going, just another reason that I'm never going to get married, I just want to clarify this. If you subtract Whitney from the equation, I've still got the same issue. For me, I have this inner tension and inner frustrations that I have to work through, and that was actually happening in the midst of Whitney and I working through this issue. And so at two, about 2.45 in the morning on Friday morning or Thursday night, depending upon your perspective, when I couldn't sleep and I did what I've advised other people to do. It's kind of smart to sometimes take your own advice. And I just got out my journal and I decided to write and begin to process. And at that moment, I really began to dig deeper into my inner frustrations that were causing a lot of the conflict between us. Now, what was the issue? The issue was work-family balance. (laughs) For the past four years, I've honestly worked really hard to try to create boundaries and move towards health in this area because I wasn't very healthy there four years ago. And then COVID-19 hit and all the boundaries that existed between the office and our home were just gone. And the reality is that discovering and implementing new rhythms is tough. It's really hard work. So Whitney and I had been trying to just navigate through this and, and figure out how we could work through this new season. And so you may ask, okay, well, how are you guys now? Well, now we're unified around something that Craig Rochelle said, which is work-life balance is not a problem to be solved, but it's a tension to be managed. And as we work through the ebbs and flow of that, that's where we realize of, hey, this isn't something that we're gonna solve overnight. We're gonna have to keep working through this. And I don't know about you, but I think about conflict with myself and frustrations with others. It's often like an onion. There's way more layers than we're prepared for, and at some point we're probably going to cry. <laughs> and I felt that as we were both working through this to finally get to this place where we could go, you know what? Let's embrace this tension. It's not a problem to be solved. And so the thing is, in this season of COVID-19, our emotions are heightened. Miscommunication is probably easier now than it ever was because we can't physically be with people that we work with and with our friends. And so this is just a time where we're all gonna face these type of tensions. Add to that the fact that the experts are telling us that 
tragedy is coming and it's gonna come close to home for a whole lot of us. So what do we do in the midst of this? Well, today I simply wanna talk about a weapon that's worked for me in the past, a weapon that worked for me on Friday, and I think it could be an essential tool for all of us to navigate these uncharted waters. Because whether we follow Jesus or not, we're all having to face heightened emotion. We're all having to face and navigate tensions that we may have managed before, but now we're having to manage in completely new terms and completely new season. So I just encourage us, let's lean in to this weapon and see how this can benefit our lives. And this weapon is actually found by digging into our vision. So the thing we talked about last week and we've been talking about is a see-through church. This whole idea that we look beyond what everyone else is stuck on. And the reality is we are in a global crisis. Now, depending on where you live in the world, that crisis may be something you're right in the middle of or it may be approaching, but globally we are in a crisis and crisis can paralyze us as we get stuck on uncertainty, as we get stuck on fear. So the statement we've talked about is we see through crisis and move to vision. Whereas crisis paralyzes us, vision mobilizes us by lifting our eyes beyond the uncertainty and the fear that we were previously stuck on. And the good news for us as public church is that in a world full of uncertainty, there's at least one thing that's still the same, and that is our vision. The vision has not changed. We develop a public church that invites people to embrace the journey of following Jesus. Now, how we live it out is vastly different than it was a month ago, but the vision is the same. And right in the middle of our vision statement is this word, invite that we invite people to embrace the journey of following Jesus. Here's the reality. We cannot authentically invite people to go somewhere that we are not going ourselves. We can't invite people to do something that we are not ourselves doing. That would be the equivalent of me saying, hey guys, in this season, support local businesses. And a great one to support is Impressions Catering. And they are a great one to support. We love the Hicks family. And you ask me, well, hey, is the food good? Have you done it? And I said, I'm not supporting them. You should. Like that's got hypocrite written all over it. That is so not authentic. But I can tell you, I've had the fatty matties and they're life changing. I've had the food. It is so good. So with authenticity, I can invite you to do something that I've done and planning to do again this week, which is support impressions catering, which also supports my taste buds. So with our vision, it's the same. We want to invite people to go where we are also going. And so when it comes to embracing the journey of following Jesus, that means that we need to worship, connect, and serve wherever we are. So last week, we focused on worship. And you can still sign up for one of our five COVID-19 surf teams if you go to our public church app and just fill out the Google form. And thank you to everybody who signed up and thank you to our team that's in the process of mobilizing you guys. That is phenomenal. And Austin shared about how middle school and high school students can stay connected in this time. And that's because we want all of our church family, every age and every stage to be able to stay connected during this season. And so today, we're going to focus on this idea of worship, that we worship right where we are. And I think this is very fitting since it is Palm Sunday. Now, some of you guys may not have a solid definition of worship, and you may not really even know what Palm Sunday is. 
And I just say to you, I am fired up that you are watching. This is not a church where you have to know all the stories or know all the definitions in order to fit in. No, we invite you to join us right where you are. So Palm Sunday was the Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and people would literally take off their cloaks and they laid it on the ground and they took palm branches and they laid them on the ground before him. And why did they do that? The cloak symbolized, we submit to you as King Jesus. The palm branches represented Jewish nationalism. In other words, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, they were expecting him to declare himself King and to overthrow the tyrannical Roman Empire. But Jesus didn't do that. Instead of showing up and fighting for the freedom of just one people group, the Jews, Jesus rode into Jerusalem and died for the freedom of the whole world. Because through his death on the cross, we can be forgiven from our sins and find freedom in Jesus. (laughs) And so that's what Palm Sunday is all about. And as they laid down their cloaks and palm branches, they they gave shouts of praise, and those shouts, that was worship. And so what exactly is worship? Well, you guys heard from our worship pastor, Cody Disney, as he and Spencer did a great job of starting our gathering with some music. They're going to come back and end our time together with that. And Cody, during the season, asked all of public worship to take some time and to do a YouVersion Bible study called Make Room. And in that Bible study, Cody sent me this. It said, worship is the act of putting something first. And then Cody told me this. He said, what we worship has profound effects on how we live and how we treat people. I mean, he is so right. The reality is whatever we put first, we're going to respond to that thing with honor and devotion. And that is going to have ripple effects into every area of our lives. So worship matters. And worshiping right where we are is a part of living out our vision. But look, this still raises a lot of questions. Question like this. How can worship impact our everyday lives? What does it even mean to worship in our everyday lives? And is worship just singing? And if so, what if I can't carry a tune in the bucket? (laughs) I mean, am I just hung out to dry in the midst of this? So we're not going to answer every single one of those questions and go through lists. What we are going to do is we're gonna allow Jesus to clarify what worship is. As we drop into a scene in his life in John chapter four, so if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, you can drop into John chapter four. And I honestly don't have time to give this context, but it fires me up so much that I can't help myself, so just bear with me. Jesus is in a conversation with a lady from Samaria, and with this conversation, Jesus is literally fighting and pushing back centuries of misogyny and racism. We know this when we dig into the culture, but we also know it because when his disciples show back up, they're off to the side whispering like, what is he doing? Does he not know that she's a woman? And he's a respected religious leader. And by the way, in that time, only males were respected religious leaders. And so he's a respected religious leader. And he's talking to a woman. She's so much less than him. He's going to ruin his reputation. What is he doing? Not only that, she's a Samaritan. You hear the racism? She's a half-breed. Jews should never give their time to the lowly half-breed Samaritans. And so we need to understand that Jesus and his followers have been and always should be 
fighting against misogyny and racism. I'm fired up, but that's a talk for another day. Back to worship. <laughs> so we're going to be in John chapter 4, 19 with that context. And so in the middle of this incredible conversation, the woman said to him in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So their conversation so far had led her to realize, hey, this guy's special. He should be taken seriously. And so in verse 20, she says this, um, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Here's what this lady does to understand what's going on. Right before this, Jesus has asked her some very pointed questions about her lifestyle that exposes her sin. So she's uncomfortable. So she does what people have been doing for centuries. But when you kind of hone us in on our sin, we want to defect. We, we want to deflect, excuse me. We want to get the focus on something else besides our sin. So she goes, I know how to do that. I'm going to ask a really controversial religious question. And she presses the hot button issue of the day between Jews and Samaritans, which is where should you worship? And she's asking this question, not because she really wants to know, but because she's like, oh, let's not talk about my sin anymore. <laughs> Sometimes we do that too, don't we? And what we need to understand is that as we go through verses 20 through 24, the word worship, both in the original Greek and in English, shows up nine times. And then it gets to 10 if you throw in the word worshiper. So clearly what Jesus is doing is he's giving some clarity and some incredible teaching on worship. Remember her question. Hey, where is the right location? Samaritans, we say this mountain. Jews say the temple. Here's how Jesus begins to respond. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. We miss the jaw-dropping controversy with this statement. Both groups are suddenly ticked off at Jesus because the Samaritans, they have their interpretation of Scripture that says the mountain is the right place. And the Jews, they have their interpretation of Scripture that says, no, the temple is the home of God. It is the epicenter of religion. And both groups are saying, you cannot fully worship unless you're on this mountain or in this temple. So Jesus, prove us right. And Jesus says, you're both wrong. And then he goes on and says this, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. He's honestly just shooting her straight and saying, look, I'm a Jew. I don't know if you noticed. And I am God in human form. So salvation comes from the Jews. And so you have to understand that there's something you've got to learn from the Jews. And what he's doing is he is attacking her racism. I think very subtly he's saying, if you want to follow me, I'm going to do a work in every area of your lives, including the hatred you have for that certain people group. And then he says this, verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You know what that word true means? Authentic, genuine, real. And vulnerable. And I love that it says, the Father is seeking. He is actively pursuing authentic worshipers. That was true when Jesus made the statement, and it is true today. And then Jesus emphasizes what he said in verse 23 by saying this in verse 24 God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Again, spirit 
and truth. And he said, look, God is spirit. In other words, God cannot be limited to a location and truth. Jesus, later in John, he says, I am the truth. So Jesus saying, hey, truth and spirit, this is what it's about. The message, paraphrase, in verse, says verse 23 this way. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly before him in their worship. And Jesus offended them. I have a feeling he might offend us. Worship is so easy to limit to a location. We think, you know what? I worship when I show up to this place and my favorite band speaking and that or favorite band is leading and my favorite communicator is speaking and that's when I worship. <laughs> but Jesus is using this season to do something he began to do in the first century. Jesus is decentralizing worship. And Jesus is saying the main ingredient is not location. The main ingredient is authenticity. True worshipers worship in spirit and truth. That whole idea of spirit, it decentralizes because Jesus tells us that when we follow him, his spirit is in us. In other words, the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go. Worship is not limited to location. And when we think about truth, authenticity, that is the qualifier. The main ingredient is not a location, it's authenticity. Now, I'm in no way de-emphasizing our gatherings. In fact, when all this is over, there's three places I want to go. First, a public church gathering. Second, a Bradley Central High School Go Bears high school football game. And the third thing is I want to go to a college um, basketball or football game because, man, when you get in those environments, the energy is palpable. You can feel it, and I love it. I, I may just like cry when I get in all three of those settings. Like That's what I want to do. I want to be around those people and that passion. I probably should add, for those of you who know me, the fourth place is also when I go to Inman Street, Starbucks. That's kind of a given if you know me. So yeah, probably go there before the other three. But the point is, like I long for us to be together in the energy that is felt in those settings. But Jesus is challenging us, challenging us to worship on our own. Sunday, even our online gatherings, they are a time to do collectively what we've been doing individually all week. And if we limit worship to a time and location, we will limit its impact on our everyday lives. Back to Friday. How did I fight? The first thing I did is I chose authenticity and I sent a Slack message to our lead team. That's Cody, Colin, and Nathan and said, guys, I need prayer. Cody immediately sent me back the song, Hillsong Young and Free, um, the song by Hillsong Young and Free called Lord Send Revival. He said, man, I hope this just encourages your soul. Listen to it as soon as possible. And so Liam and I were playing at that point and I just began to listen to it. We, we put it on repeat as we were playing. And what happened is the atmosphere in my mind and our home began to shift. Now that may seem like a weird way to say it. Here's what it means to have a shift in the atmosphere. Have you ever been in a setting that's filled with tension, that's filled with frustration, and then somebody walks in and maybe it's just their demeanor, maybe it's what he or she says, but suddenly the mood changes? 
Have you ever been just in a rut and having a bad day and somebody walks in and, and they smile and they laugh and they bring joy and suddenly you're feeling better and you're experiencing that joy? That's what it means for the atmosphere to shift. Now, because of what I have the privilege of doing, I typically think about a shift in the atmosphere occurring in a gathering, occurring in a collective setting. Because those of us who plan gatherings, we've been given a gift by God that we can create and we can shift atmospheres. Now, we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if he shows up, but guess what? He shows up when we do, because Jesus has put his spirit inside of us. So he's with us. So our job is to pray and pray and pray before, during, and just ask Jesus to create an atmosphere, to shift the atmosphere so that people can encounter him. So I typically think of this shift happening in a big group setting, but on Friday, a shift in the atmosphere happened in my mind and in my home. And that was the first shift. And I said it was a day full of ups and downs. The second, the second shift simply happened as that afternoon, I just dug into John chapter 10. Our routine had been thrown off that morning and I hadn't been in the word. When I dug into John chapter 10, another shift occurred. And then there's more layers to tension. The third shift happened about 2.45 that morning as I journaled and prayed. The fourth shift happened when I woke up Saturday morning and I felt pressure of unfinished work. And so I prayed, I got in the word, I prayed some more and I began to release that. And then the final shift occurred as um, Whitney and I were going to play pickleball, something you can do with social distancing, um, as long as you're not with a huge group of people. And so we were going to play pickleball and we got in the car and I just turned on a playlist literally called Worship is a Weapon. And the very first song that we listened to was Lord Send Revival, the same song Cody had sent us. So why do I say all this? We need to understand that worship is a weapon that can shift the atmosphere in our everyday lives. Worship is a weapon that can shift the atmosphere in our everyday lives. And here's the reality. During this global crisis, as we said, a whole lot of things, emotions, frustrations, these are heightened. So we need a weapon to navigate these times. Worship is that weapon. And if we wait until Sunday to worship, better yet, if we wait until we gather physically together again to worship, then our chances of being defeated are going to drastically increase. And as we're defeated, it's not only us that lose, but those who are around us lose. So, so here's the clear action for us today. Let's leverage worship as a weapon to shift the atmosphere in our minds and in our homes. Let's leverage worship as a weapon to shift the atmosphere in our minds and in our homes. So what does that practically look at look like? Well, I think it starts with a Levi Lusco quote where he says, Worship is not, uh, let me get this right. Okay, worship is more than singing, but it's not less. Worship is more than singing, that it's not less. So to keep it simple, with that in mind, worship starts with the word. So, so if we're gonna leverage worship as a weapon, we have to be in the word. No word, no John 4, 23 and 24 worship because we cannot manufacture the type of authenticity that the Holy Spirit is gonna develop in us through time in the word. And if worship is spirit and in truth, then the Holy Spirit primarily, the primary first way he speaks to us is through God's word. So no weapon no, or no word, no worship. The second angle is we've got to pray. 
Another shift occurred as I was journaling and praying. We must spend time praying. And so parents, I challenge you, pray the word of God over your kids at night. We have some scripture that we pray over Liam and Oliver. Start writing down prayer requests in in your journal. That's what I've been doing to keep up with things and to follow through when I tell somebody that I'm gonna pray for them. And kids, here's an action for you. Ask your parents if you can pray for them. If you can pray for your siblings at night, you can worship too. And then the third thing, since worship does involve a musical element, is music and singing. So we've got to start with the word. We've got to continue with prayer. We must have music and singing. Let's not limit musical worship to our campus or even our online gatherings. But let's set the tone in our homes and in our minds with worship. And the easiest way that you can do that is download our PC app, choose media at the bottom, choose worship, and then we have playlists for public worship, sprouts and roots, public students for all ages. And kids, again, you can say, hey, mom and dad, can I listen to this playlist while I'm playing? And can we set the tone for the atmosphere in our home. Look, one day we will gather physically again, and I cannot wait. But let's go ahead and worship now. And on that first Sunday back, it's going to be so special. And let's not roll in going, man, I came here to start worshiping. No, let's roll in going. You know what? I've been worshiping on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday individually. And now I'm coming here on Sunday to worship collectively with you all. Because if we don't make a habit of worshiping in our everyday lives, we may not actually make it to that next Sunday, that first Sunday back. So let's leverage the weapon of worship to shift the atmosphere in our minds and homes. Jesus, would you help us to do that? I think it's so easy for us to, just like people did in the first century, for us to limit worship to location. Forgive me for that. Forgive us for that. And I pray that you would just help us to see it for the weapon that it really is. And we would be in the Word and be praying. And we would make sure that we have time where we're also singing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.